Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is rolling on here in December of 2020. It's going to be even crazier in 2021. We hear about things like vaccines that are going on, how that's going to be sent around. And I don't think anybody's going to miss dear old 2022 terribly much, although we do have a sentimental character on here who might want to tell us a little bit about that. Our dear friend, monthly guest on Cloud Wars Live, Christopher Lockhead, talking about Christopher Lockhead on different. Brother, what's up? How are you? What's going on in December Dr. Evans? for you? Dr. Evans, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Chris, so you're uh, talking about these vaccines, right? Yeah. So here's a cool thing about the vaccine. So first of all, I think if you're a human being and you're not in awe of the fact that a handful of these companies with government help and various governments, you know, but, but humanity, okay, has come together to do something here that's pretty legendary. And look, I realize, you know, having done a little bit of research and you know how much time I spent in epidemiology school, so I'm an expert. But, um, you know, it's very clear there was a lot of work done before this crisis, before this virus happened on other coronaviruses. And so the work that's been done over the last handful of months builds on, you know, a generation or more of work. But but all that said, humanity's done an incredible thing here. And if these vaccines are um, as effective as they appear to be right now, uh, it's it's an extraordinary achievement. People starting to get vaccinated already. And here's the aha from a business tech marketing point of view, the rollout of the C-19 vaccines is the greatest product launch in the history of humanity. And it takes legendary product, you know, science. It takes legendary technology to create the product. It takes legendary, think about the logistics of what we're now about to see and the private public partnerships we're now about to see with governments and private companies rolling this thing out, distributing this thing, setting up the capability to do it as people drive by in their cars, all this stuff. My, my point is, in, in such a shitty year, such a horrible year for virtually everybody, I do think it is worth stepping back and going, hey, wait a minute. What humanity achieved to get to the vaccine is extraordinary. And what we are about to witness is the greatest product launch in history. And it's a public-private partnership that requires legendary science, legendary logistics, legendary education and marketing, and of course, a legendary healthcare capability. And so I just think it's it's worth stepping back and going, hey, wow, that was a good one we got done there, hey. Yeah, yeah, Chris, I agree. You know, I saw um, a little clip on LinkedIn this morning. It was Rob Carter, who's the, uh, you know, legendary, if I may borrow your term, uh, technology strategy you can you can use the word royalty free for the rest of your life no problem oh thank you thank you could i get that in writing please Just, Abs absolutely yeah. all right all right i'll but, have uh, my rob lawyer contact your lawyer perfect perfect um but rob carter the uh legendary cio at fedex he put out a little video sort of animated things a hundred seconds long where they talk about how do you do this across you know more than two billion people 200 countries all over the world, get it out there. And you've talked before, Chris, I think about, you know, think about what everybody has had to rely on over the last six months. You said these incredible companies like Costco and others that do this stuff, that make it possible And these pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I saw an interview the other day with the CEO of uh, GlaxoSmithKline 
And she said that data is helping them not just create new medications more quickly and more efficaciously, but he said how we market them, how we distribute them, how we manufacture them. And she said, it is just turning the whole thing upside down. And she said, the next five years, we're going to see stuff that seems like science fiction. Amen. I, I think she's absolutely right. I think she's awesome. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. 2020 is the year that um, if you weren't clear before, you're clear now. Data is an essential service. The internet is an essential service. The cloud, where would we have been without the cloud, right? Uh, we'll, we'll get to who I think the entrepreneur of the year is, if you like, because I'm pretty excited to talk about that as well. But what an extraordinary job the information technology industry has done, both IT leaders within companies, uh, if you will, users of tech, and, and of course, tech vendors themselves, but the whole industry as a whole, uh, you know, in its entirety has done a legendary job. It is a miracle the internet doesn't go down every five seconds. It is a miracle that major banking transactions are happening. It is a miracle that these drug companies and research institutes and government agencies and, and so forth have been able to share data and, and, and use intranets and, and, and all that stuff. It is a miracle what's happening in, in telemedicine. I've been reading a bunch about that. I'm sure you have too, that as a result of a positive coming out of this pandemic is we've accelerated that exponentially and on and on and on. But the net of it is data is an essential service. Technology people are uh, frontline essential workers and they've made a giant difference. And I think that is, is possibly the greatest untold story in 2020. Chris, one quick thing with that, you know, from like at those mega scale things, and I saw something else, uh, I think it was yesterday morning, but somebody said, you know, all over said, I think this was somebody from Austin, Texas. They said all over town, these things are popping up. These entrepreneurs who are saying, okay, so now, you know, just in the US, now we've got somewhere between 150 million and 250 million people every day using video conferencing and said, you know, 99% of them have really horrible backgrounds. So they're starting to see these little creativity studios pop up or entrepreneurs that just make not just a picture like the Vatican or, uh, you know, the, whatever it would be behind you, but just different ways of doing stuff. So this is going to spur all those big things, some new things. I, I am really optimistic about 2021. I think we're going to see the unleashing of stuff pushed by, I think what you described, Chris, is this extraordinary innovation with the vaccine, the distribution of it, people being able to uh, regain a sense of optimism and, you know, what is possible next year, you know, free of a little bit of fear and, and all that that's dogged us. So please, brother, go ahead there. You got an entrepreneur of the year. You got some other things. Over oh, to why, you. Why don't we talk about entrepreneur of the year? Yes. I think this one's obvious. I think this one's really obvious. I think this re one requires zero thought. 2020 entrepreneur of the year, Eric Yuan, founder and CEO of Zoom. Yeah. Come on. You know, early on in this thing, me and my uh, writing and collaborating partner, Eddie Yoon, the legendary Eddie Yoon, who's written more on category design and category creation for Harvard Business Review than any person living or dead. We started to talk about this idea of, and we talked about it with you, that um, a good mindset right now is how do I be um, um, uh, radically generous and thoughtfully aggressive at the same time? With Zoom, you know, the growth numbers are off the charts. We all know that. But it's important to reflect, this was not a consumer tech company. Mm -hmm. I know Eric Yuan. I've had him on my podcast a couple of times. Uh, he's been to my home. We've, we've spent some time together. 
This was not his plan. I can tell you that for sure. He was an enterprise play. There was a reason he was an enterprise play. That's what he was, you know, he was building the next enterprise video communication company. That's what he was doing. When the pandemic hit, he saw this crisis. And one of the very first things they did, I think this is incredibly important to remember, was he gave Zoom to the schools. That's what he did. And, and I know it was not part of a master plan. That opened the door to becoming um, one of the biggest B2C growth stories in the history of the technology industry, right? And so Zoom explodes from there. And he's done some amazing things along the way. First of all, the fact that the shit still works is breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. And if I'm not mistaken, let me Google this to make sure I'm not lying, but I'm pretty sure... Do you know this? Um, is Zoom hosted on Oracle? It started off totally on AWS. Then Oracle was added as a, a supplemental supplier. And yep. recently they've redoubled a little bit their commitment to both companies, but particularly AWS. Right. So I'm just looking. Here's a press release from April, April 28th from Oracle. Zoom selects Oracle Cloud as cloud infrastructure provider, blah, blah. Now, in the, in the spirit of 1,000% transparency, um, Oracle NetSuite sponsors my, uh, my podcast. So, you know, you can say I'm unbiased if you like, that's okay. But, but regardless, um, here's a situation where at the beginning of the pandemic, Eric, Oracle, his entire team, their team, and I'm sure lots of other vendors and, and providers of one sort or another figured out how to scale this thing. And the reality is Zoom has scaled in a way that very few companies have ever scaled in the history of technology. It's a miracle it doesn't go down all the time. It's a miracle there aren't massive security breaches all the time. And, um, and you know, Eric continues to do radically generous and thoughtfully aggressive things. My favorite of late was when, um, you know, everybody was worried about people traveling too much over Thanksgiving. He said, well, we're gonna, we're gonna pull the 40 minute free um, deal on Zoom. And for Thanksgiving Day, uh, unlimited free time on Zoom, go have at it. You know, just things along those lines. Unbelievable. Eric, you on Entrepreneur of the Year. I don't think it's even close. Chris, you know, uh, one thing along with that, the, the great choice, uh, nobody could argue. Well, somebody could argue with you. They wouldn't win, but they could argue it. But I think, Chris, you know, I, I was reflecting back some of the stuff that they've had to deal with this year, right? That, uh you know, everybody's had to deal with a lot. I don't mean it that, but the, the confronting, you know, what do we do with this company? Where do we go? What do we have? Do we spend six months figuring out should we do consumer or not and have committees and all those things that you always advocate committees and, you know, long discussions. The like larger that. the committee, the better. And the more nested committees <laughs> under the committee helping to inform the committees. Uh-huh. Yeah. But Chris, th there is this thing. And I think a lot of these I think 2020 is going to squeeze out a lot of ankle biters. That's at least as a hope on my side. Because remember early on, you know, this boom, things happen. Zoom is one of the things helping in some ways hold the world together. They run into some security problems because some shitheads out there decide, okay, they probably haven't been able to back everything up the way they normally would. Here's a chance to jump in and we'll interrupt some uh, Zoom meetings and all that. And there were so many people out, you know, they wanted blood from this guy. It was, it's just absurd. Yes, they got to take care of it. They did quite quickly. Uh, I think very appropriately. But the bigger thing is the bigger minds with the better vision, they're going to see past all what I'm calling just the ankle biter stuff. Go past that, forget them, blow by it. Oracle that you mentioned a minute ago, um, 
a month ago, Larry Ellison was doing a, a public uh, launch of some of their new new software. And he said, we are aggressively, he said, as we speak, we're integrating Zoom technology into our next generation of applications. So who could have pictured that just a, a yeah. short time ago? There it it's, is. It's amazing. And um, Mazel Tov, hats off. Thank you. I think we, 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 saying thank you to Eric is, a, is an appropriate response. I have thanked him publicly and personally. Um, and uh, awesome job. Awesome company too. I've gotten to know some of his executives, great people, um, great board, the whole thing. E excellent job. And, uh, you know, God bless entrepreneurship technology and Eric, you on and the people at Zoom. <laughs> Good call. Good call, Chris. So um, you had another item here that you wanted to talk about your 2021 plan, and you've got some advice for folks. Yeah, it's, I don't know why I've been in a lot of these conversations of late around sort of how do we plan for the next year? Um, obviously, given my background, a lot of marketing folks, but tech folks as well. And I had this aha in the discussions, um, which is, I think the problem with your 2021 plan is calling it a plan. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by, I'm not just being cheeky for the sake of it, although maybe a smidge, but, uh, but when we say plan, you know, words matter and it sets a context for people like, oh, this is what we're going to do, mm -hmm. right? And so if I work for you and let's say you're the CIO of a major company and I'm responsible for DevOps or whatever it is, and we create the plan for the year and we know how many new services and applications we're going to be rolling out and what we're, you know, and, and, and SLAs we have and all the stuff. Right. And then we figure out how we're going to resource that and how we're going to pay for it and this and that and the other. And we do a, a bottoms up and tops down to hopefully meet in the middle and come up with a plan. You know, generally good business people know how to do a generally good plan and they can roll forward, um, you know, four quarters for an annual plan. Here's the problem. What 2021 teaches us is we have no idea what's coming next. Mm -hmm. And the major IT organizations around the world had to um, redeploy distributed home offices in a nanosecond. And they did. M you know, many of them were extraordinary in how they got that done. And so here's the aha that I had. Maybe don't call it a plan because a plan assumes a sort of a rigid rigidity. I call it a framework. Look, there's certain things you know you want to do. Maybe you're upgrading some major systems. In the case of the marketing world, maybe you're going to launch a new product and you're going to do a lightning strike around that. Or if you're at a tech vendor, you're going to have a big user conference. Or, you know, there's certain things you know you're going to have to do um, and, and, and agreements and so forth you're going to have to deliver uh, as part of leading your organization. We know those things. However, um, if we call it a framework and we, from the beginning make it clear to ourselves and to our teams that shit's going to change. We know that 2021 is going to be highly unpredictable in ways, some of which we can sort of predict the unpredictability, if you will. And of course, some of them we can't. And so if we say, hey, look, our plan is to do the following things, um, but it's a framework because we're going to we're going to have to shuck and jive in the moment. And so I think thinking about it as a framework. So that's sort of point A. Point B I know a lot of whether it's uh, tech heads or marketing heads or various sort of functional heads in companies, some of them can have a somewhat adversarial relationship with the CFO and or the finance function, particularly as it relates to planning and budgeting. Um, this is a bad time to have that nonsense going on. This is a good time to have 
uh, deep alignment with your CFO around what are the tech investments we're going to be making, what are the marketing investments, what are the product investments, whichever part of the organization you run, get that shit budgeted. And if we think about it as a framework, understand that things are going to move, understand that priorities are going to happen, understand that maybe we're going to have to overinvest in security in a way that we didn't think we were going to have to before or some other thing, or we're going to have to, um, here's one I think that people need to think about in the tech world. On this move to the cloud, wherever you are on this cloud journey, uh, assume that in 2021, you want to accelerate it. So as you're looking at your plan right now, ask the question, are we being uh, thoughtfully aggressive enough about how fast we're moving to the cloud? Certainly don't do anything irresponsible, but my, my, my spider senses are a lot's getting accelerated. And one of the biggest things that's getting accelerated is uh, applications that aren't in the cloud, key services that aren't in the cloud, people are looking at moving them there rapidly. And so whatever the sort of cloud evolution, digital transformation plan is, that's one that I think is, is obviously blinking saying, hey, listen, maybe figure out how to accelerate me. Yeah, good to hear your spider senses are, are tingling and you're paying attention to them, Chris. But, you know, I, I think the underpinning one of the points you just made there that for a lot of folks in decision-making roles, and they either, by that, I think, I mean, they either have the ability to help companies do what you've just sort of outlined for 2021, or they have the ability to hamper that. And too often, I think, the move to the cloud is looked at, well, it's lower cost. Okay, it might be, it might not be. And it, 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 that's not uh, an irrelevant point. But the bigger thing is, you're not going to have to worry about costs if, if you start to go out of business in the middle of the year, right? Because you become irrelevant because you can't move fast enough. So I think cloud equals speed, cloud equals innovation, cloud equals, you know, this transformative capability. And cloud is what allowed, you know, your former example there with uh, Eric and all and what they've we've done here with zoom to flip on a dime to new business models faster than ever before and part of what i think people have to admit to make that case the cfo you've just talked about is we don't you know you can ask us to plan out exactly what's going to happen quarter to quarter we don't think there's any way to do that and it's in fact going to hamper us so i like your point about language and i also think there's got to be some ambiguity built in here we will have the capability to deal with that as things move Zoom didn't know they were going to have consumer customers. Should they have just said no? You know, you know to well, you 500 million people, no, we're not going to take you on. And think about the what that more than likely, you know, I wasn't inside the company. I don't have any, you know, uh, official association whatsoever. Just, just know them. But imagine what that could mean inside the company with the minute you make that decision. What happens to, by way of example, uh, support, help desk, uh, what happens to the the support website and the load that that has to take? Well, you know, you can't just go consumer and then not respond to questions. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have some uh, some people in my life who are in let me call it an age demographic where um, the usage of Zoom is like flying to the moon, uh, you know, with farts from your ass, right? So. Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time on the phone with people of a certain age demographic trying to get them to figure out where the fucking mute button is on Zoom. Um, and so my point is you can imagine what kind of set of services and business capabilities that they either had to stand up as net new or scale in a way that they didn't plan for. And so I think that's a good illustrative mindset for us to have. Assume we're going to be standing up a whole new set of services, capabilities, applications, security, uh, locations, uh, et cetera, um, um, that we didn't uh, plan for. Assume that's going to happen. If you can have any flexibility at all in your budget, 
figure out what you think is the right percentage of investment dollars to hold on to, that is to say, not pre-allocate. Could you potentially hold on to 20% of the budget? Could you hold on to 10% of it? Whatever it is, so, so that you know. You know, another example is um, um, I'm constantly amazed, uh, speaking of Zoom, at how many executives look and sound like shit on video. Well, guess what? This may sound like a trivial thing, but I think if you're a CIO, you got to put together an executive communications package that includes a nice, you know, I don't know what all the brands are. This is not my expertise, but, you know, a nice Logitech camera that's better than the one that comes with the Mac because the one that comes with the Mac is not very good. And uh, Shure, Shure Microphones, one of the great, Shure is one of the greatest musical equipment companies in history. This mic I'm using is called a SM7B. It's about 400 bucks. They, they ran the market with a, 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 um, uh, a USB mic that is modeled on the SM7B. It's one of the most famous legendary mics ever created, but now they essentially created an SM7B as a USB mic. And my producer, Jason DeFilippo just tested it. And it's, I can't remember exactly how much it is, but it's quite a bit cheaper than the SM7B, much easier to use. And they got this thing out. Anyway, long story, way longer. Bottom line is make your executives look good. Don't let them go on CNBC looking like a dork. Don't let them go on the internal webinar with a grainy screen and bad audio <coughs> calling in from the phone. I mean, we got to set our people up to look great because guess what? The only way our people, the only way our investors, the only way our customers are going to see our salespeople, are going to see our executives, are going to see our product leaders is over some kind of digital video communication. So you got to look good and you got to sound good. Christopher, excellent point. And, uh, you know, one of your, your, your colleagues here on Cloud Wars Live Digital All-Star, Wayne Saden, he did a, a, most of an episode that, you know, he, he had the stuff out, little doodads you can add on here, more lighting, better this and that. So I couldn't agree with you more. And especially if you think about it from another perspective, uh, Bill McDermott, the CEO at ServiceNow, he says, he said, most mornings now, he said, I traverse four continents. He said, I meet with people by noon, my time, people from four different continents. And I, I think you want to look pretty good. So that is an excellent point. And I think as you're describing this outlook for 2021, right, you're really talking about companies that are able to do things that they weren't able to do before. And that, to me, Chris, is just a perfect break for a word from our sponsor, BMC. As BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. All right, Professor Lockhead. Whoever said, hey, look, today, folks, bring the B game. Right. Is that ever a speech that any coach or business leader ever gave? But then you wonder sometimes. Bring the A game. You wonder sometimes, though, when, uh, you know, I happen to be a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. They came out the other day. They seem to have brought their B game or their C game. And then the team afterwards said, yeah, we came out flat. I don't, I don't understand it, right? There's 16 games a year. You can't. <laughs> get up for anyhow but i digress yeah it's not the ba look i understand the baseball schedule i get it there's 473 games a year it's hard to really get on all those i get that but you're right you know uh um football they play three games a year what are you talking about get up for it it's a big day in your life you get paid 170 million dollars a year 
divided by three. It's a lot of money. Get focused. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I see in this uh, set of ideas that you've got, I, I think you're just sort of cleaning out some little ideas here, Chris, but this one caught my eye, the end of Silicon Valley. What the? Yeah. So here's what I think is going on. Having lived in Silicon Valley for the better part of 25 years, um, it's over. And um, so I'll tell you what I see going on. Uh, so recently we just saw Elon Musk say, fuck it, I'm out. He's moving to Texas. Um, and I can tell you, I got a, I got a, I got a, um, an attack set of texts about two and a half, three months ago from a buddy of mine, who's a very big ding dong CEO. And he says, we're moving to Austin and you're coming with us. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, okay, who's we? And we began to have this exchange and he started to share with me some of the people in his world, some of whom I knew, some of whom I didn't, who were moving to Austin. And he said, there's about 40 entrepreneurs, CEOs, venture capitalists that he personally knows that are moving to Austin. I know a bunch of CEOs who've done the same thing and not all of it's Austin. Some of it's, you know, Montana, uh, various places. But here's what I know. Um, there is a mass exodus of um, big, big, big brain power, big, big technology smarts, and big, big dollars out of Silicon Valley. And I think um, it's one of these things that has been massively accelerated by, of course, C19 and everything around it. And I, you know, candidly, I don't know how to feel about it. What I do know is that five years from now, Silicon Valley won't be a place. It will be an idea. It will be an ethos. And we are seeing the destruction of what we have heretofore known as Silicon Valley slash, you know, San Francisco as it relates to being a tech hub. And the negative part of it is um, I think there's real value to having a place where there's a concentrated group of activity and people focused on, you know, one industry or, you know, a mega industry, if you will, for, for the success of those companies, for the success of our industry, for the success, frankly, of our country, I think Silicon Valley has been a very good thing. The fact that it's going away, um, it, look, it could be a good thing. Distributing this capability across the country and across the world might end up being a very healthy thing. It's obviously lowering, lowering cost structures for companies. It's allowing people who would never be able to buy a home to buy a home. You know, so there's a lot of positive here. But there is, there is something cautionary, um, and I think we need to pay attention to it. And not to get overly political, but part of what's going on here is um, the taxes and the regulations and so forth in California, uh, both personally and on companies. And in California, we have had one party rule for a very long time. And it is angering to me to see, by way of example, the fires and not getting on top of that. And the uh, sitting back and letting Silicon Valley melt and not doing fuck all to deal with it. So um, one of the things that I think got lost 
in the last federal election cycle, and I think has been lost in our country, is a deep appreciation for civil discourse and a deep understanding, regardless of where you sit on the political landscape, if you want the federal government, the state government, and your local government all to be run by one party, you're insane. We need the dynamic tension between the ideas. We do. They're good ideas on both sides. And they're not always diametrically opposed, but there is tension between them, right? And we want that tension. And I was listening to uh, Yuval Hari, who is the the genius uh, Israeli professor who wrote Sapiens, one of the most important books. People are looking for books to read over the holidays and you haven't read Sapiens. Read Sapiens. It's going to help you understand how human beings got to be human beings. And Yuval has one of the legendary minds in the world. Anyway, he was on, I think it was on the Dax Shepard podcast. And he made a very interesting comment about this, Bob. He said for the history, and I'm paraphrasing, so I might be off a little, but I I think I got the idea plus or minus right. For the history of the United States, the American people have viewed the enemy as being external to the United States. Today, most Americans of one stripe or another politically think the greatest risk to the United States is the other party. So, so the enemy is us. Now, if you take this to the horrible place, you know, are we at the beginning of civil war? I doubt it, but this is how this shit starts. But I thought Yuval's insight was a powerful one. Right now, right now, the United States is being attacked. We know that. We know that. We know North Korea is doing it. We know Russia is doing it. We know China is doing it. We know Iran's doing it. We're at the highest level of cyber war in history based on what the experts tell us. And yet we continue to fight with each other about masks and demonize each side and all these things that we do. And so I, I think that if you get back to California and the destruction of Silicon Valley, part of why we're having this happen to Silicon Valley, part of why California is on fire and nobody fucking does anything about it is we have one party rule. There is no strong Republican party in, um, in California. And I am not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I have ideas on both sides and somewhere in the middle and so forth. But um, uh, we do not want one party rule in this country and we need strong voices uh, on both sides that are wise and we need to stop demonizing ourselves, each other and get the civil back to the discourse and if we want to have any chance of saving California, we need to get on that ASAP as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Uh, Chris, you know, I, I think this thing of, in business, and you and I have talked about a lot of uh, the, these companies where they, they don't know their customers well enough, they don't know what's going on there. Uh, I think, you know, some politicians these days, you just wonder, like, I forget what planet did they live on? Did they ever visit Earth? Um, do they ever see what's going on? They just seem so out of touch. And this quote that, that you offered up here, we may not be the cheapest place to do business, but we are the best place to do business, said the governor of California. So, you know, you, you put the, okay, he thinks that because there's one, you know, then the other thing doesn't matter. But I think you've just described something quite different. I think they're just so wildly out of touch with regular people. What regular people go through uh every single day and that strangeness that uh, ignorance in some way creates 
terrible decision. So I, I agree with you. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see this uh, enmity and this uh, aggression among Americans at the same time that America has played such a force in the creation of this vaccine. What you said is going to be, you know, the greatest innovation in the history it's the of the dichotomy world. of the United States. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we're angry at each other. Um, some of us think the virus is a hoax. Some of us think it's the greatest health crisis in modern history. Uh, you know, there's all this stuff. We can't agree on a set of facts. There are all sorts of facts and convenient facts and inconvenient facts and new facts and old facts and fake news and fake facts and fuck. Right. But at the same time, and that makes me angry and like it does most of us, but I do think it is important to say in spite of all of that, we, humanity, not just the United States, other countries too, but we've got together and we're rolling this thing out. And so I think that's um, pause for positivity. On the negative side, I just think California is a cautionary tale to the rest of the country. This is what happens with one party rule. And this is what happens when we take the civil out of our discourse. And, uh, and in the case of California, the Democrats run the whole place. And uh, to put a fine point on it, I think they're fucking it up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Chris, we, we came into this episode here on a, a pretty high note with the discussion of the, the vaccine and the extraordinary innovation there. I would like to see if we could wind down on a similar high note uh, because it's December, because it's a holiday season and because, I don't know, it just seems like uh, toward the end of 2020, there's all a lot of plenty of crap going around. So I think it's important to throw in some optimistic outlooks. I loved your thoughts here and your sort of insights about Fender. So would you talk a little bit about that, right? Because this is not something that is, uh, you know, we, we don't all have to be trying to pretend we're pharmaceutical companies and create a vaccine. That's otherworldly in some ways. But here's something that is just good thinking, good innovation, flexibility, and an open yes. mind. So I love this. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite stories of uh, 2020, and I think it's emblematic of all the positive. And, and I think the net of it is we are seeing a level of innovation and a level of new category creation like we've never seen. And we're seeing it at the far outer edges of science and space travel and, you know, what you might call big C category creation. But we're also seeing little C category creation that isn't necessarily space travel or new vaccines, but is an innovation and a new category that makes a giant difference. And this is the Fender story. So here's what happened. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, Fender was sort of uh, like most guitar companies, like most instrument companies, and I'm not an expert on this space, but my understanding is most instrument um, categories are shrinking or, or not doing that great. People aren't learning the piano, aren't playing guitar, aren't doing those kinds of things at the same level that they used to. So pre-pandemic, Fender had created, uh, you know, here, here's what they understand, right? Leo Fender and and um, and uh, Les Paul were really the creators of the electric guitar category, and God bless both of them for doing that, right? And they understood something that legendary category designers understand, which is the following: if you want to sell Bibles, Bob, there needs to be Christians. And so, at the beginning of the pandemic, here's what had happened at Fender: they had to address this problem of a shrinking. Uh, category opportunity because less people were playing guitar. They said, well, 
let's take ownership for teaching people to play guitar. So they, a physical company that makes a very physical handmade product, created a digital product. They, they went digital. They did a digital transformation around a new product line called Fender Play. And it's a digital cloud-based application for learning to play guitar. Because if you want to sell Bibles, you got to have Christians. And so that makes you a Christian manufacturing company. And so Fender said, let's make some more guitar players. Ta-da, Fender Play. Okay, so here's what happens. The pandemic hits and they go, hmm. And in the context of this idea of thoughtfully aggressive and uh, radically generous, they said, we're going to give away Fender Play to the first 100,000 people who sign up. And I, there's an article in here I sent you, that uh, their CMO describing what happened. And they thought, you know, 100,000 was sort of a stretch. I think if I'm, look, if I'm remembering this right, I think, yeah, they got to 100,000 people on a free, uh, three-month trial of Fender Play in three days, Bob. So then, in the context of technology that scales, legendary technology, digitization, radical generosity, and thoughtful aggression, they said, all right, now we're going to open it up to a million. And the thing blew up in the most positive of way. And then the CMO says in this article I sent you, uh, at the time, meaning when they did all this stuff, uh, when brand trust was at an all-time low, brand trust for Fender is at an all-time high now, seven, eight months after doing this. And the numbers are stunners. Seven billion PR impressions, 1,300 powerful stories, 140 artist social shares, um, uh, and a 150% increase in paid subscriptions. Oh, and guess what, Bob? If you're learning to play guitar during your free time in the pandemic, and you know, maybe you're using that piece of crap guitar you bought at a garage sale in 1962 or whatever that your dad gave you. 64. And yeah, and it only it only has it only has you know four strings because two of the machine heads are busted or whatever it is, right? And you're sitting there and you're you've got this guitar teacher teaching you all this stuff and you're learning stairway to heaven or smoke on the water or whatever the hell you're learning. And uh, I remember as a kid, I used to go, there was this guitar store. I used to go, a music store in Montreal, I used to go into called Steve's Music. And they would have signs up in the guitar section that said, no stairway to heaven, no smoke on the water. <laughs> anyway, sooner or later, you're learning to play guitar on your crappy old, you know, garage sale guitar. And you're looking at your teacher and you think, you know what? Geez, those Fender Telecasters sure look nice, don't they? So the last part of the story, this is an article that just came out. CMO reports a 232% increase in year-over-year e-commerce sales of guitars. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, Christopher, the moral of the story is? The moral of the story is one person's crisis is another person's legendary opportunity, right? Um, I'll give you another example along those lines. I won't name the company because it's probably inappropriate, but a, a reasonably good-sized tech company that I have the privilege of doing a little bit of advisory, uh, you know, for, for large amounts of money, I'll insult your CEO too. Sure. And so uh, <laughs> um, earlier in the year, they do a big um, customer user conference like most tech companies, and theirs is in the, in the fall. You know, typically these things, of course, are fall or spring. And um, when the pandemic first hit and it became very clear we weren't going to be able to do your big ding dong event with your, you know, many, many, many thousands of people. Um, the marketing team was pretty bummed out. And they're like, oh, 
know, and online events suck and it's going to be terrible and no, nobody's going to pay. And even if they come, or they, how are we going to get them to engage? Because it's different sitting in a you know, ballroom in a beautiful ding dong facility and all the parties afterwards and all that stuff, as opposed to, you know, sitting in your pajamas, wearing yesterday's underwear in front of a screen, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So what was me, right? And as the, as the planning was beginning for the new digital version of the event, um, an emerging thought happened. And the emerging thought went like this, Bob. What if this wasn't a bummer? What if maybe, and not like whipped cream on dog shit, but like, really, what if this was a legendary opportunity to do something insanely creative, to take the technology and go to a place where few have been before? I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe. So here's what they did. They hired an insanely creative team. This team used 3D technology that was used in the Mandalorian. It was the first time they ever used it in a corporate setting to do these cool sets for the keynotes. And anyway, they did all this stuff and they did it to leverage the technology and deliver a completely new, powerful experience. Well, here's what happened. Paid attendees were up somewhere in between four to five X. Wow. Wow. It was the most legendary event they ever did. Everybody said it, customers, partners, employees, et cetera. And so, and the Fender story speaks to this as well. And so, Yes, there's a lot of bummer about 2020 on many, many dimensions, and many of us are hurting. One in four American families is suffering financially, right? And, the, and of course, the, the, the human cost to this thing is very real. Most of us know people who've uh, lost people or been hurt or, you know, this is a horrible thing we've all been through. I'm not putting whipped cream on that in any way. However, that said, if we're willing to flip our mindset uh, there is an opportunity here to do something really special, to do something really um, thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous. And early on, Bob, in this pandemic, you and I had a conversation about this. I was going through our notes. And I think what we talked about in the springtime, the early part of this pandemic is more true now. The future needs you. Never before in certainly our lifetimes uh, has there been a game of jump ball for the future like there is right now? Never before has there been a requirement for leadership like there is right now. And for those of us in the tech industry, never before has there been a need, a desire, a, 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 an absolute essential uh, uh, ability to rely on the technology been the, been the case. And so all that is to say, as big of the shit sandwiches we've all had to consume in 2020, um, I think those of us who are not in a position to make a difference, those of us who have, uh, what was that movie? Um, shit. Where the, the two young kids in, in, in school, one of them, two guys, and one of them looks to the other one and says, um, you know, girls, they like guys with skills. We need to get some skills. What movie is that? God damn it, I'm blanking. But anyway, those of us with skills, Bob. <laughs> Because, you know, chicks dig guys with skills. We need to get those skills and fire them up and get busy and lead companies and create technologies and, and design new categories and, and hopefully design a future um, that we'll all be proud of, that we all want to live in because the future does need us. The future is calling us. 
And I think there's never been as, as much pain as we've all gone through. There's never been a greater time in history than right now, this moment right now to be in the information technology industry. Chris, I agree with you. Three things just I, I want to come back and hit on. People have heard them. You say them better than anybody. But I would just say it again. The future needs your radical generosity and be thoughtfully aggressive. You know, that's a pretty nice package. And if the CFO says, well, I need, you know, uh, 5,000 additional models for this. Well, you know, I'm sure you've got a line for them as well. But Chris, great stuff. Fantastic. Love that Fender story. Every company in the world should think about that and think, how can I reimagine what I do and the value that I contribute? It's, it's right there. These opportunities are in front of us. Beautifully said, my friend. And as always, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, it's it's a, a treat, a delight, and an adventure to have these conversations with you. Thanks, Bob. It's an absolute uh, privilege in my life to be with you and to do this. And um, I want to wish you and everyone in your family and your um, uh, you as the new grandpa uh, <laughs> a most wonderful Christmas holiday season. And uh, let's make let's make 2021 uh, more legendary than 2020. Can we do that? <laughs> I think we can. I think we can. Chris, thanks so much to you, to all of you wonderful folks out there. May I extend Chris's warm greetings and wonderful thoughts for a fantastic holiday season to everybody. Let's finish up this year uh, as best we can. And 2021 is going to be fantastic. Looking forward to it very much. Thanks for being part of the Cloud Wars family. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.